Excellent. Okay, let's take our Bibles and go to Galatians 4. Okay, Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And uh, man, that sun coming through those blinds up there is blinding. Uh, fellas, you can help me. I know it's like a spotlight. Everybody wants to see my face glowing. If you can try to a little bit, turn those shades, if you will, to try to block some of that sun out, that'll help me. And I appreciate it very much. It's basically to the far left is where it's coming from. That'll help me, guys. I thank you so much for doing that. And, uh, and Seth, I just sent you a text message. If you don't mind to check that out for me, too, okay? And uh, that'd be great. But anyway, all right. Well, Galatians chapter 4 is where we'll be. And uh, we'll read it here in just a moment as my eyes adjust, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. It's funny. I can't see nothing. It's wild. But uh, anyway, all right. <clears throat> but I got this part memorized, at least. As you're turning there and know about Galatians, uh, we, we understand who's writing at this moment. Paul is pinning this book of the Bible to the believers and to the Christians of Galatia. Now remember, Galatia is not just one city or one town or one church. No, it's a region. So there's many cities here. Therefore, there's many churches here in the city. Therefore, many Christians. But he's writing for this main purpose because there have been false teachers called Judaizers who have begun to slip into this area and slip into these churches and teach a false gospel, all right? What is that false gospel? They're teaching a false gospel of this, of adding works to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Uh, they're adding works to the finished work of Jesus of Jesus Christ. They're, adding, they're doing this. They're adding rituals and rule to the gospel. Uh, they're adding religion without relationship with God. They're adding to the gospel of this. Be a good person. Do the best you can. Follow all of these rules, and surely you will be accepted by God. But this is not the true gospel. This is not it. So in teaching the false gospel of works to the finished work of Christ, they were perverting the pure gospel of Jesus Christ and in turn causing great chaos in the hearts and minds of these believers, which no doubt many of them would have been new believers. And so with all this going on in these churches and in this area, Paul uh, lovingly, passionately, and very sternly goes to battle and picks up his pen and declares and defends the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that salvation is by grace through faith and not of works, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. And so Paul is defending the gospel. And as we're reading on in Galatians, we find more defense of the true gospel. So let's look at it. Galatians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 7. All right. The Bible says this. Galatians 4 verse number 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage un under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for the word of God. And I pray you to help us, Lord, to understand it. Help us to apply these wonderful truths to our hearts and minds. And help us to grow. And help us be encouraged. We love you. Thank you for loving us. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, sometimes, again, I want to remind you, when you read the uh, uh, epistles of, of Paul especially, but when you read different portions of Scripture, sometimes, if you're like me, you can get a little cross-eyed, a little confused at first. And if that happens, be reminded again and encouraged by this verse, all right, that you're not alone. Also, the apostle Peter, he would find himself confused from time to time when he came reading the epistles of Paul. Here's what Peter, Peter said about it. 2 Peter 3, verse 15 through 16. Even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of things, here it is, in which are some, hard, hard, some things hard to be understood. So, if you get a little confused at first, don't let it discourage you, all right? Don't be discouraged by that. Rather, keep reading, keep praying, keep studying the Scriptures, keep comparing Scripture with Scripture, and it will make more and more sense as you do so, all right? So let's look at this this evening. And from, these portion, from this portion of Scripture and from these verses, I'd like to consider three things. And the first thing I'd like for us to consider is this. As Paul is doing this, he's giving some explanation. And number one, he explains this. He explains their subjection, all right? He explains our subjection. Now, you may be saying, well, what do you mean by subjection here, preacher? What does that mean? Well, Paul is trying to explain to the Galatians here, if they go back under the law, then they are putting themselves back in bondage. Look again at verse number one, all right? Now, I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage unto the elements of the world. In these verses, Paul is making a comparison, all right? He's making a comparison that of a physical child that would be under a Roman servant, which that Roman servant would act for that child like as a glorified babysitter, okay? Uh, but he's making that comparison between that physical child under a Roman servant with the spiritual condition of the Jews as they were under the age of the law, all right, under the law age, okay, or that dispensation type of thing. Now, it may help us to understand and know that uh, during this time, the first century time frame, uh, this, this time century in the war, uh, Roman world, the children of the wealthy were cared for, taken care of by the slaves in that household meaning the children were under the supervision of the household slaves, of the household servants. That meant that that servant, that slave, would teach that wealthy-to-do uh, master or ruler's child, teach them um, everything, all right, from, from mathematics to science, whatever. They'd be the teacher. They'd also lead them to where they need to go, discipline them, take them here, take them there. They'd be the ones that would take them to their ball practices, all right? Uh, they would take them to ballet. They would be the soccer mom, if you will, with a loaded caravan of kids, okay? That would be what they would do. They would take care of the child of that house. They would care for them. Again, be like a live-in, full-time babysitter that took care of your kid. How many mamas would love that? Anyway, all right. But that's what they would be. That's kind of what they would do. But this is what would happen in a wealthy Roman household. Then, keep this in mind. Keep it in mind that it was the law that was also a guardian, a disciplinarian, a schoolmaster. Look at it again with me. Galatians chapter 3, just back a page or across the page. Galatians 3 and verse 23 through 25. 
But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster. That's that, again, that slave in the house, our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified, justified by faith. But after the faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So in our text, back in Galatians chapter 4, Paul is making a statement. Making a statement that he has observed a couple of things. Observe that the Jews who would be like this, they'd be like children, in bondage, as he says, to the elements of the world. They were in subject to the elements of the world. Now, this word elements here, it means basic principles. It would be like learning their spiritual ABCs, if you will, I can say it that way. But these basic principles Paul will be referring to here in the context would be the law. It would be the law of rules and regulations of the Old Testament. But why would he say that they would be bondage or become in bondage to those elements, elements of, of the world? Why would he say that? Because again, here is why. The law was never meant to bring freedom. It was never meant to, to redeem you. It was only really to show you the bondage that we're, really, that we're really in. Remember, it was to show us that we are sinners and should point us to a Savior. It should point us to a Redeemer. So understand, Paul's making a comparison. He understands the Roman and Greek mind, which, by the way, the Galatians would too. The Galatians he's writing to would be predominantly Gentile, predominantly uh, educated in the Grecian mind. They'd be very aware of what Paul's talking about. And also, Paul, seeing the condition of the Jews as they're putting themselves under the law and trying to put the Galatians under the law, he makes this comparison and says this, listen, if you do this, you're subjecting yourselves again, meaning you're putting yourselves under the law and back into bondage. That's what these Judaizers were trying to do with these Galatians. They were trying to get them to follow the law. And in following the law, it was not going to help the Galatian believers to grow in the Lord. It was not going to help them to mature in their faith. Rather, it was going to bring them backwards. And again, back to bondage. But understand something. They didn't have to. We know this. As we've been going through Galatians, we know they didn't have to go back to bondage. They didn't have to go back to the elements of the world. They didn't have to go back to the law. They didn't have to do that. Why? Because number two, not only do we see Paul's subjection, number two, Paul explains redemption. Again, he gives a little bit of, uh, a little bit of explanation of that. Look at verse number four and five again. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions, the adoption of, of sons. The Bible says here, when the fullness of time was come, this refers to that time when the world was, listen, really providentially ready for the Savior to come, for the birth of Lord Jesus Christ. A historian, historians say at that time in the first century, all right, the historians say that the Roman world at that time was in a great expectation. Uh, they were waiting for really a deliverer when Jesus was born. Because at this time, the old religions were dying. The old philosophies were empty and powerless. Religious bankruptcy and spiritual hunger was everywhere and at all time high. If you remember, we've talked about it before 
But the time period leading up to Jesus' birth was many times referred to as what? The 400 silent years or dark years. Because during that time, there was no new prophet. There was no new prophecy as the old time uh, uh, prophets of old back in the day they had. Those were dark days. Also, during this time in, in history, the Roman roads, it's interesting, would be connected from city to city. All these cities would be connected with the, all these roads, and which in, ended up ultimately being connected to where? To, starts with the R, ends in the Om, Rome. Because all roads lead to Rome, right? It's very interesting that at this time, that's what was going on. Again, the Roman laws protected the rights of Roman citizens. Roman soldiers would keep the peace within these cities. But, but the, the Romans at this time were majority of uh, uh, the people here that was in, in control. And because of that, the vast majority of people spoke this. They would speak Greek, which was significant. Why? Because eventually the Bible in original language would be penned in Greek. So physically, historically speaking, even spiritually speaking, this is a very perfect time for God to send forth his son into the world. So understand something. For Jesus to be sent forth here, as it says, in this time of history was no accident, but rather it was on purpose for a purpose appointment for God to send his son into the world. So when the fullness of time was come, so, so did Jesus. So did Jesus come. But why? Verse 5. To redeem. To redeem them. That's why he came. And I love, I love this word here that the Holy Spirit chooses to use through the pen of Paul. Uh, this word redeem, it means to be set free by paying a price. And these individuals, these Galatians, these, these uh, Gentile believers, these Roman-minded, Grecian-minded individuals would have known exactly what it meant when he wrote this word down to redeem. But I love it. I love what it means. You see, at this time, at this time, it is said that there's around 60 million slaves in the entirety of the Roman Empire. And a man could go into the Roman Empire and just about any Roman city and purchase a slave. And after purchasing that slave, they could do one of two things. They could keep the slave for themselves and use them and abuse them as a slave. Or they could go and purchase a slave and do this, set that slave free. That's what that word, that word redeem means. It means, to, it means to set free by paying a price. And these Gentiles, these, these Roman-minded individuals would have known exactly what that meant. Now, you know where I'm going with this. You know where I'm going with this because when the fullness of time was come, Jesus was sent to redeem, to do what? To buy us, to purchase us. Purchase from what? From the slave market. Not a physical slave market, but rather a slave market of sin. He was going to purchase us. Now, when he purchased us, he was not going to keep us as a slave, and at least as a Roman slave would, would be mindful of, or, or be reminded of, rather. No, he was not going to keep us as a slave, but rather he was going to do this. Listen, he was going to make us sons. And this is where I really want to get to this evening, because it fires me up, gets me excited. 
So we see, number one, he explains to them of their uh, uh, subjection. If they go back to the law, they're going to place themselves back in bondage. But they don't have to. Why? Because we see the redemption through Jesus Christ. He come to redeem. And not, not to redeem us and just make us a slave in the house and abuse us and that kind of thing. No, no, no. Redeem us and set us free and make us a son. So look at it with me in verse 5 through 7. This is what I really want to get to this evening. Look at it with me. To redeem them that were under the law, that, here it is, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I think this is where Paul is trying to get to as well. He's explaining some other things, but man, when he gets here, no doubt that encouraged these believers. No doubt it pricked them right to the heart to let them know really who they are. Not a servant, not just some slave be used and abused, but a son of God through adoption. Now, as he explains adoption here, understand something, all right? Adoption and being heirs is one of the greatest blessings and a great benefit we have as believers. And just so as you know, there are many benefits that we have and that we received when we became children of God, when we were saved. There were many benefits that you got. Not only do you not get to go to hell, you get to go to heaven. Amen. All right. But beyond that, there's so many other riches that, that come, that accompany salvation, as the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we, must, though we thus speak. So there are many things that accompany salvation. One of those things is this, adoption. It's one of many, but it's one of them. Now, as we think of adoption here, I think it will help us to understand that adoption and redemption are not exactly the same thing, all right? Adoption and redemption are not synonymous, though they happen at the same time. Understand they go hand in hand, but they're not, like, not the exact same thing. And to explain that a little bit better, let's start off this way, all right? Let's start off with a question. Question, how does someone enter the family of God? How does somebody become a child of God? Well, to answer that question, we need to go to Jesus himself. And he explains how someone comes into the family of God. He says this in John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, that's unto Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So to be part of the family of God, you must be born again. You must come through in a new birth. But how are you born again? Again, this is a question that Nicodemus had one evening with Jesus, again in John chapter number 3, and Jesus tries to explain it, verse 14 through 18. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So as you look at this text in this portion of Scripture, you will see five times Jesus referenced the word believe in these verses. Again, speaking to Nicodemus. 
So as he's trying to explain the new birth, this tells me how you are born again. When you put your faith, you believe on Jesus Christ as your Savior. When you put your faith in the Lord, not in your good works, and in the context of Galatians, not in the law, but in Christ. And in Christ alone, why? Because Christ is enough. The Bible says this in John John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that, here it is, believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but, but of God. So the new birth happens simultaneously when we believe on Jesus Christ as our Savior, place our faith in his finished work of his death, burial, and resurrection when we believe on him. So would you agree with me this evening that to be in the family of God, it is a regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, which happens when you place your faith in Christ. Would you agree with that? With at least a little bit of a nod for me? All right. That's what we would believe and teach, as that's what the Scripture teaches. Okay, so if regeneration and adoption are not exactly the same thing, what does it mean then to be adopted? Well, I'm glad you asked. When we think of adoption today, at least in our 21st century mind, many times we automatically think, at least my mind goes this way, we think of this. We think of, we'll make us just as simple as possible, we think of a child who has no home. And we see a child who has no real family of, of their own. But you see that child, and you love that child, and you want to adopt that child and bring that child into your home. Then through a legal process, you would eventually get that child and welcome them into your family. And after that process is over, that child becomes your own. That child becomes family. That child becomes family. It's as if they were your own biological child himself. And it's interesting, by the way, too. Legally, I think in several states, once you adopt a child, you cannot unadopt them. You can disown your own children, your birth children. I'm telling you, I'm telling you something that's interesting to me. I, I nailed it down for me. I about had a little fit in my office, all right? You can disown your own children. You're like, oh, praise God. No, but, but you can disown your own children, okay? But once you adopt someone, they are yours forever. You cannot disown them. You can't unadopt them. Amen. All right, anyway. But understand, that's what we think of when we think of adoption. We're bringing them into into the family, all right? So you're with me thus far. But this is not exactly what we're talking about here when Paul speaks of adoption. Rather, the adoption that Paul is speaking of here is this. It is after we have come into the family of God. Really, it's at the same time that we come to the family of God through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we are adopted, not as, as little babies that we would think of, okay, but rather as this, listen, adopted as adult children with all the benefits of an adult child. You see, when someone's born again, they are at that very moment a babe in Christ. You with me on that? They're a babe in Christ. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2 through 3. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be you've tasted the Lord, he is gracious. So as when someone is first saved, they're a babe in Christ. Listen, this is their condition. This is their condition. This is done through, again, regeneration, believing on Jesus Christ. But also, when someone is saved, they get to enjoy the benefits of adoption. This is, rather, our standing. Uh, this is our privileges we have as believers, meaning this, not our condition, but rather our position. 
Listen, when a sinner trusts Christ and is saved, as far as his condition is concerned, he's a spiritual babe in Christ who needs to grow. But as far as his position is concerned, he is an adult son who can draw on the father's wealth and who can exercise all the wonderful privilege, privileges of sonship. Let me try to make it simple for me. I have to do this for me, all right? Make it as easy as I can for me. Understand, when we enter God's family through regeneration, we enter that way. But we get to enjoy and exercise our spiritual riches through adoption. All right? Again, as Paul is writing to these first century believers here, the Roman age mindset, this would all make perfect sense to them. Because I believe in this time when the schoolmaster or the, the slave in the house would take care of that wealthy's, uh, wealthy ruler's son, uh, that, that person, that son, would not become the actual heir until, or, or rather, uh, receive all the benefits of an actual heir until they're 25 years old. I think when they're about 14 years of age in a Roman mind, a Roman world, uh, they were considered coming of age, all right? Can you imagine your 14-year-old son being a man? Mm -mm, no. I've seen some 70 and 80-year-olds that ain't men. Uh, they're still boys. But anyway, all right? But a uh, 14-year-old teenager, come on, you know? But, uh, but could you imagine that? They, that's what they believe. They're coming of age around 14 years. But when they hit 25, then it's, they get all... They get all the benefits that the Father had for them. But understand, when you come in the, in, in the family of God, you get all the benefits immediately. Why? Through adoption. It's a benefit we have when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's a blessing that we receive. So again, we enter God's family through regeneration, but we enjoy the spiritual riches through adoption. And this first century mindset with these believers, they would understand that, make perfect sense for them. But just know today, as born-again believers, we have so many spiritual blessings. We have so many spiritual riches because we are heirs of God through Christ. And here's just a few of them, all right? Let me list these quickly because we're running out of time, but here's just a few of them. As sons... Through regeneration, that's also coupled with adoption in that. I mean, it's just amazing. As sons, listen, children of God, we have a father, which, by the way, the law can never give that. The law can never promise to anyone following the law they would have a loving father. No, it was just a horrendous taskmaster. That always put them in bondage. Always, really, the law would kill, right? It would show them they're wrong all the time. They could never do right all the time. That was not love. But when it comes to becoming a, a, a child of God, we find ourselves as children of God. We have a father. Again, understand the servants during this time, the slaves during this time, they had no right to call their master their father. No, because the servants were separate from the master. So there was no closeness. There was no closeness there whatsoever. But one of the many spiritual blessings is this. When we become the child of God, God becomes our Father. And this is only possible because of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love these tender words that Jesus speaks to Mary after his resurrection. Listen to these words, John chapter 20, verse 16 through 17. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, to my God, and your God. So understand something, we have God as our Father, all because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
But not only this, notice this about this in verse number six, verse number six in our text. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Uh, this word here, Abba, means, it's, it's an Aramaic word, but it means this. Or really, it would be closely, I should say, closely related to, rather, our English word of Papa or, or Daddy or Dada, all right? I'm not being disrespectful. That's, that was kind of what it would be closely connected to. But that word daddy, and I don't know about the rest of you dads in here, but uh, when it comes to my kids, my girls, I like being called daddy. I like for them to say daddy, especially when they're, when they're, when they're young, you know. Uh, I remember when um, Neely got too old to say that, when she was like six. And uh, she looked at me one day and said, hey, dad. And she started explaining something. I looked at her, and I'm like, what'd you call me? She said, dad. And I started walking away. <laughs> She's growing up on me, you know. But anyway, that's just that that daddy thing, okay, between between the father and their child is it just shows again the closeness. It shows that tenderness between the relationship of a father and of their of their child. This is what he's trying to get at here. He's trying to show that tenderness that we have as uh, sons of God, as we have a father who again is tender and close to us with this relationship with our heavenly father again made all possible because of the lord jesus christ i'm just trying to tell you it's a wonderful benefit we have that only a child of god can have and that's that what else can we have quickly let's look look at these all right as a child of god understand we have a father but understand this we are also wealthy we are very rich we are very rich. Since we've been adopted, listen, we've been placed as adult sons in the family of God. Positionally, God has made available to us his riches now. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. God's going to give us all his riches. What kind are you talking about now, preacher? You're talking about thousands, millions, billions, or silver or gold. What kind of riches are we talking about? All right. Something far, far better than any of that. Now, it is true that our God owns the cattle and a thousand hills, Psalm 50 and verse 10. It is true that all the silver and gold is his, Haggai 2.8. But the riches I'm speaking of are not just material wealth that will one day burn up. But what I'm talking about is the greater riches. You have the riches of his grace. In Ephesians 1 and verse 7, in whom we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 2, 7, that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You have the riches of his glory. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Again, the riches of his goodness in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Also, we have the riches of his wisdom. Romans chapter 11 and verse number 33, the Bible says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. When you need grace, when you need mercy, when you need wisdom, guess what? All that money ain't going to buy it. But where can you find it? You can find it in your great God in heaven. We have great riches, people. I'm telling you, we are rich because we've been adopted. We are adopted sons. We are full-grown adult children in the family of God. We have everything that encompasses that 
as well. We have so much in Christ. And as sons and heirs, the best is still yet to come. Listen to these verses. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. To an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Understand something. You have an inheritance incorruptible, awaiting the best. Understand the best is yet to come. We have so much wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ, so much that accompanies salvation, and just one of those wonderful benefits is adoption. It's wonderful. So since we have all these benefits and have all these wonderful things in our lives that God gives us, why would we ever go back? Why would these Galatian believers ever go back to, again, the elements of the world? Why would they go back and put themselves under the law, why would they do that? When there's so much and more in Jesus Christ. You know, these Judaizers, as they're coming to Galatia, teaching a false gospel, a false gospel of works. In essence, what they were doing and what they were practicing as they were teaching this and saying this other gospel. Here's what they were doing and saying. They were saying, Christ is not enough and you need more. But understand, in these verses, just these couple of verses, really the whole book of Galatians, but just these couple of verses, Paul makes it very plain as he's saying this. He's talking about adoptions. We have Abba Father. We have redeemed, uh, being redeemed by Jesus. As he's making it very plain for all of these Galatian believers, he's, he's saying this. He's saying through Christ, we have more than enough. They're saying you don't have enough when you just have Jesus, but Paul's making it plain you have more than enough because Jesus 